Well, well, Governor Cuomo has resigned as of, uh, well, this morning. He made his announcement. Uh, I have not decided yet whether to play what he said or not. Uh, it was, well, not his fault, of course, that, that he had to resign. And there is some truth to that. Now, I'm not all up in arms. This is Drew Allen, by the way, host of the illustrious Drew Allen Show, 34 years old, speaking more wisdom in the last 30 seconds than, well, Democrats speak in their entire lives, of course. But Governor Cuomo resigned, and there was a lot of celebration on the right amongst conservatives. And my question is, uh, well, it's a rhetorical question because I'm going to answer it, of course. Should we be celebrating? Is there anything to celebrate about Cuomo's fall? And the answer is no. There's nothing to celebrate. I mean, we've got his lieutenant governor, who's just as radical, if not more radical, actually, in fact, than he is, taking over. And remember this, too. Republicans are not responsible for Cuomo's fall. He could have stayed in office and weathered the storm. That's actually what I predicted. I'm not wrong often, but the .01% of the time that I am wrong, well, this is about it. So he did resign, and his resignation, look, came because Democrats got together in closed-off rooms behind the scenes, and they determined that there was an opportunity in this for them. And he could have resigned at any point over the last several months because all of this information about the sexual harassment, it isn't new. People have been coming out against him for months, even on the Democrat side. But Everything the Democrat Party does is strategic. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that Cuomo resigned today when he could have done it yesterday, two days ago, a week ago, three months ago. It happened today. And of course, one reason that the announcement could have come today is, of course, to fill the news cycle. What are, let me put it this way. The news, of course, will be covering the Cuomo, quote-unquote, scandal and resignation from wall to wall, 24 hours a day. Well, not 24 hours a day. You know, they've still got to, you know, push forward this fear porn campaign about COVID. And I'll get to a story about that in a moment. But, um, so they could, have, they could have done this at any moment. But by resigning today, we had the infrastructure bill, of course, that those 19 betrayer turncoats, redcoats, Republicans voted for which isn't an infrastructure bill at all, by the way. It's a uh, Green New Deal with a little infrastructure sprinkled in. And worse, it is the road to Marxism, because Nancy Pelosi signaled not too long ago, and she said it again, I think, today, I'll get to that, that um, this bill getting put on the president's desk, well, it's dependent upon passage of a reconciliation bill that will require a simple majority vote that is the three point something, $3.5 trillion, I think it is, Green New Deal, which has in it, for example, a, well, a pathway to citizenship, essentially, for the illegal aliens. Do you see how they do this? The Democrats are strategically brilliant. We've got a million, we've got, we've got, it's an invasion at the border, by the way. It's an invasion. I'll get the numbers in a little bit, but something like a million illegal aliens have come into this country in just a number of months. And so this is, of course, another plan, another option on the table for them to 
well, ensure that they remain in power in perpetuity. So anyway, I'm not celebrating Governor Cuomo's removal because what does it amount to? Governor Cuomo resigns, you get somebody else in there that's even more radical than he is. And so, I mean, honestly, it's like Nancy Pelosi resigning from Speaker and then you replace her with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That doesn't get us anywhere. This is not a, a Republican victory. This is nothing to celebrate. Honestly, there's not even anything else to talk about. So I'm going to leave it there. I might circle back to it in a little bit to discuss some of my theories about why now and what this, well, future election might look like in terms of, well, let me ask you this. Hillary Clinton failed to win the presidency twice. Okay? Failed to get the nomination, and then she failed to, of course, win the presidency against Donald Trump, I should say. But maybe the governorship is not beneath her. Although this lieutenant governor is a female, so she did steal some of the thunder from beneath Hillary Clinton's heavy, heavy torso. Uh, because Hillary Clinton, if she runs for governor, won't be the first female governor in the history of New York. No, 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 that will have already been done. Although she could be the first elected female governor in New York, so, so there's that. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got, we've got absolute lies from the media and Democrat Party, like usual. Um, what you see is not real. What you see is not true. The stories in the media are fabricated. We've known this time and time again. We've got a clear instance here with Cori Bush, that squad member, and CNN who pushed that news story that raised on a GoFundMe campaign $230,000 for a single mom of three facing homelessness over eviction moratorium. Only, it turns out, that single mom of three facing homelessness over an eviction moratorium, well, she wasn't even the mother of the kids. It was pure fabrication. We've got, well, the D.C. mask mandate may be in effect through Thanksgiving now if vaccinations don't increase. So now we've got another, another hurdle to overcome. Another thing we, the American people, must meet that the elitists, our nobility in this country, demand of us in order to get our unalienable rights back. They keep moving the goalpost, folks. And I've got some audio, of course, um, well, of the reaction of Dr. Fauci to, <laughs> well, this, this motorcycle event in South Dakota in which he condemns it as essentially a super-spreading event, but he was mute, of course, on the point of Barack Obama super-spreading COVID-palooza, which I talked about in the last episode. So we're going to get to that, too. But uh, I'm just going to take a short break here. This is Drew Allen, if you're with me for the first time. Welcome to, uh, well, podcasting brilliance, I guess you could call it. Speaking more truth, as I said, in an hour, or as long as this podcast runs, then Democrats speak in their lifetimes, and that's true. So anyway, welcome to the show. I'm Drew Allen. I will pull no punches. And uh, I will continue to decimate the left breath by breath. All right, this is Drew Allen, and we will be right back. So if you heard the last episode, of course, I addressed, I'm just setting the table for you. You know, not, well, I won't get too repetitive here. But uh, last episode, I, I discussed, it was titled, in fact, I think, uh, Barack Obama's birthday COVID palooza or something along those lines. And um, as I was doing the podcast, talking about how 700 people in total were expected at this birthday bash, uh, including the help, the caters, etc. Well, then 
you know, I, 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 there was breaking news that he was going to scale down the birthday party. Scale down. There were no follow-up questions about what that meant in terms of numbers. No, no, no. Just him saying he was going to scale it down was responsible enough. That was good enough for the journalists who asked no questions in this country of Marxist Democrats. The elites are shielded from journalism, protected by journalism, because we have a propagandist media and have for a very long time now, which is no surprise here. That's not breaking news. But of course, we got video, we got photos of Barack Obama's birthday bash, and it didn't look scaled back at all. You know, the Obama organization or whatever, spokespeople came out and said, you know, he's just going to invite uh, family and close friends. Well, he's got a lot of close friends. John Legend's a close friend. Um, who's his wife? Chrissy Teigen, the bully. Maybe they invited her to bully the COVID virus out of there. Uh, but he's got a lot of close friends, apparently. A lot of celebrities. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. 200-plus close friends. Fascinating. But anyway, that did not attract media ire. In fact, uh, one, well, Rush Limbaugh must live on, and there is no improving upon much of the wisdom and brilliance that was Rush. So an info babe, as he would call them, from the uh, New York Times in this case. Well, let, let me just play what she had to say in defense of the Barack Obama super-spreading COVID-palooza. Uh, other people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd, and, and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. All right, Andy Carney, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh... That was um, the abominable Jim Acosta, I believe she was interviewing with. And um, so, of course, you know, if you're a liberal Democrat holding a super spreading event, well, you know, as long as you're sophisticated, as long as you're a Democrat, you can't get COVID, you can't spread COVID. The Delta variant doesn't attack Democrats, apparently, unless you're one of the six vaccinated Democrats on the all-vaccinated Democrat private jet that fled duty and responsibility from Texas to avoid participating in democracy in Austin, Texas. But no, 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 let's not talk about them. So there you have her response to that. Now, I want to play Dr. Fauci's condemnation of the Sturgis, 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 I believe it's called, rally, in South Dakota. That's what I was talking about with the, the big biker event that's held there every year. So here's Dr. Fauci. Doesn't have a word to say about Barack Obama's birthday party, mind you. Not a word. But he did have this to say about, well, a biker group. They're probably Republicans, and they love America. So there you have to look out for COVID. Here's Dr. Fauci. Well, I'm very concerned, Chuck, that we're going to see another surge related to that rally. I mean, to me, it, it's 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 understandable that people want to do the kinds of things they want to do. They want their freedom to do that. But there comes a time when you're dealing with a public health crisis that could involve you, your family and everyone else, that something supersedes that need to do exactly what you want to do. I mean, you're going to ultimately be able to do that in the future, but let's get this pandemic under control 
before we start acting like nothing is going on. I mean, something bad is going on. I mean, we've got to realize that. Now, there's a lot to address there, and don't worry, I will address Dr. Fauci point by point and eviscerate him as only I can. But let's just start with what he said in the end. Something bad, something ominous is about to happen, is about to come of this biker rally. Well, something bad has come, but not in South Dakota, in Martha's Vineyard. Now, this is an article, by the way, from the Vineyard Gazette. Now, they are as close to Martha's Vineyard as you can get because they are, in fact, Martha's Vineyard magazine. So they are on top of COVID cases in Martha's Vineyard. Now, are you ready for this? Here's the headline. COVID cases keep climbing. More clusters reported. Now, this is from Monday, August 9th. This is following the two- or three-day birthday extravaganza COVID-palooza that Barack Obama held on Martha's Vineyard. COVID-19 cases have shot back up on Martha's Vineyard, with health agents reporting 48 new positive tests during the first week in August, including three case clusters at Edgertown businesses. The hospital classifies patient condition as good, fair, serious, or critical in increasing order of severity. The hospital had not reported a new COVID-19 hospitalization since last spring. The 48 new cases represent the highest weekly total since mid-May, after cases declined to near zero levels during the beginning months of the summer. In a weekly case update, health agents said 35 of the, of the 48 new cases reported between August 1st and August 7th were symptomatic, two were asymptomatic, and 11 were unknown. 25 of the cases are among fully vaccinated residents. Isn't that amazing, by the way? You get the vaccine, 48 new cases, almost, well, more than half of them are from fully vaccinated residents. But we're told, get the vaccine. Only getting the vaccine can stop COVID in its tracks. Only getting the vaccine can eliminate, eradicate a virus that claims the lives of 0.5% of people who have comorbidities, are obese, old, elderly, etc. We must eviscerate this virus that poses no real threat to the majority of the American people. So anyway, in the Monday update, health agents reported three new COVID-19 case clusters among staff at Edgartown, I should say, businesses. According to the report, 14 staff members at Alchemy Restaurant have tested positive for the virus. I wonder if they were catering the Barack Obama event. I wonder if they were, well, patroned by the Barack Obama crowd. Anyway, Martha's Vineyard is a uh, small island. Um, and uh, now they're seeing a rise in cases. we got to keep a close eye on Martha's Vineyard because any new cases in Martha's Vineyard, God forbid there's even a death. And, um, well, Barack Obama has blood on his hands. And I'm sure Dr. Fauci and everyone will be quick to condemn him and call on him going to prison. But, of course, that will not happen. But I want to address some of these other things. Let me just silence my phone here for a second because uh, this tends to happen. Every time I get behind this microphone, I become popular. It's un unbelievable. But um, give me one second here, and I'll be right back with you. So let's get back now to Dr. Fauci, what he said. So, you know, of course, he says there comes a time when... You know, your family's health, your own health. Well, something supersedes your desire to do what you want. And so, of course, here we are again. As if it's March of 2020, the never-ending COVID-NOM war 
So, you know, we have to give up our rights. We have to give up our liberty because it's in the name of public health. People are getting sick. People are dying. And I'm so fed up with this argument. I really am. People get sick and die. That's the reality. I've talked about that time and time again here, folks. But these people, has anyone asked them, by the way, what is the acceptable level of infection or death in their opinions? After which we can enjoy our liberty again, enjoy our freedom and do as we please and actually live as American citizens. What's the number? You know, they shut down the economy, shut us down, enacted these mandates, mass mandates, these draconian lockdowns throughout the country because, well, a study said 2.2 million Americans would die if they didn't act. Well, a little over 600,000 people have died. Yes, those are real people. Yes, it's terrible when anyone dies. But 600,000 die of heart disease, 600,000 die of cancer every year. But 2.2 million was the fear. That didn't happen. Is that not something to celebrate? 2.2 million didn't die in this country, as they predicted as the justification for seizing our liberty? Well, here we are. People keep getting sick. People get infected. And they talk about cases now, not deaths. Notice they don't talk about how many deaths. It's all about cases. And I'm sorry, regardless of anyone's opinion, regardless of anyone's fear of the COVID-19 virus, that is not a justification Certainly not a constitutionally lawful reason to tell me how to live my life. It's not. And so at this point, the virus is here. In Israel, where they have a near 90% vaccination rate in the adult population, well, they have soaring cases. They have hospitalizations. And yet these Stupid, ignorant people on the left who can't tell their you-know-what from their you-know-what. Well, they say, well, of course, if 100% of the population is... Well, let me talk like a liberal because I just had an interview with one. I'm going to play that in a minute. Well, um, of course, the um, in a population where you have 100% of the, of the people vaccinated the infections and the hospitalizations are going to be amongst the vaccinated. Well, what's different? You know, at one side of their mouth, they tell us, well, we need to reach, you know, 100% vaccination in America so that we can have our rights back. But what, what is really the goal of this? The goal of this is not public health. It's not safety. You can't achieve what they're proposing they achieve. This is just like climate change. We have hurricanes. We have tornadoes. We have fires. We have heat. We have cold. And every time there's an event that is newsworthy, well, they say, oh my gosh, here comes climate change. It's man-made. And what they do here, by the way, is they shift the blame from the weather that we can't control or from a virus 
which we also can't control, to our own behavior. And so in perpetuity, do you think, for example, that hurricanes are going to stop happening if we eliminate cars in this country? Let's say no one drives again. Are hurricanes going to stop? Are wildfires going to stop? Are tornadoes going to cease to exist? Are floods going to stop? No. No, they, they propose something that they know can't be achieved, and because it can't be achieved, they can use it in perpetuity to control us. COVID's not going anywhere. It's here, just like the flu. I mean, if you add up the last decade of flu deaths, it's over 300,000 Americans. Well, they didn't bat an eye about that. They didn't bat an eye when 61,000 or whatever it was in 2017, 2018 died. They didn't bat an eye when we had 810,000 people in the hospitals in the flu season. They didn't talk to us about overcrowding or a lack of beds because the flu existed and they didn't have a chance to get ahead of it and say, oh my gosh, this flu is unprecedented. We have to control the flu. We have to do something about the flu. But COVID was a unique opportunity because, you know, it was new. And so they could seize an opportunity to market it in such a way to convince the American people that, well, death and disease didn't happen until COVID-19. And so at the end of the day, I'm sick of the argument. I'm not going to go back and forth anymore with people. The fact remains, if you're fearful, if you're unhealthy, well, get healthy. If you're fearful, stay in your home. If you're fearful, quit your job. And I hear arguments all the time, too, from people even on our side. They say, well, you know, I wear a mask out of respect. I mean, this is built on a lie to begin with. I mean, I'm okay with you wearing a mask. But how is it respectful on the other end to demand that I wear one as well? If you want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. Get vaccinated. I don't condemn you. I don't attack you. That's your choice. I have my opinions about things, but I don't push them on you. I don't say, no one can get vaccinated. How dare you get vaccinated? But the other side has no respect for me or the unvaccinated. In fact, more and more quote-unquote so-called conservatives are joining this movement to demand that we get vaccinated. And you know what it's really about? I don't know if this is true, so maybe I shouldn't go there, but I just did an uh, hour-long interview on a radio program, the Matt Buff Show out in uh, Florida. And he informed me that Hugh Hewitt is all in for everyone needs to get vaccinated. He's in for mandated vaccines. He's in for this uh, phony infrastructure bill. And if that's true, I'll have to look it up. If it's true, I have no respect for Hugh Hewitt, and he's a coward, a failure, and a loser. Because if I expand upon what I'm telling you and what I've learned, which has been information delivered to me, Hugh Hewitt represents a lot of people right now. I think people are sick and tired of the media. They're beaten down by CNN, by this federal government, by local governments, by governors in states who are telling us, like Fauci, look, if you get vaccinated, if everyone gets vaccinated, you can have your rights back. This will go away. It'll all go away if you just get vaccinated. But that's never going to happen. You're buying a lie. And so, you know, the Hugh Hewitt types who are buying into this and now vocalizing that the unvaccinated are the problem, not only do they deny science, not only are they science deniers, but they don't stand for freedom. 
They don't stand for personal choice, and they don't stand for America. And this is an existential crisis we're facing right now. More and more companies are trying to mandate vaccines to do what the government hasn't gotten some Lawrence Tribe-type phony liar constitutional scholar who lives to destroy the Constitution, who robes himself in the false garbs of authority with credentials, but it doesn't matter. I mean, this gets back into the point about slavery in this country for so long. It was never moral, but if you have amoral men, it doesn't matter what your credentials are. I mean, Fauci claims to be the leading expert in all of this with COVID. How many times has he lied and been wrong? He lied about hydroxychloroquine. He was wrong about that. And yet his credentials aren't under attack. He sits there and goes on the news every day like he's never made a mistake in his life, like he should be the leading authority. He's not the leading authority. He's a liar. And so they keep moving things forward. Before I get into this other interview I had, because I do want to play it, because I went on a program a couple days ago, all right? And this guy's name is Bruce DeMont. I looked into him. He's had a radio career for a while. I mean, he's a loser. Uh, when I talk to people, they haven't heard of him. You know, if you mention Rush Limbaugh, now that's a giant. People know who he is. But, you know, Bruce DeMont, he's, he's had this program for 41 years, apparently, called Beyond the Beltway. And ostensibly, he claims that... You know, he's the moderator. He brings on people on both sides, conservatives, liberal, Marxist, communists, to debate the issues. But he's a Marxist himself. I don't care what he claims to be. When you listen to this, which I'll play in a few minutes, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But he is a tyrant himself, and that's the point. Tyranny, you know, it's not limited based on left or right. You know, our choices right now aren't left or right. They're up and down, right? Up towards freedom, up towards Americanism, up towards constitutionality, and the greatest nation that's maintaining the greatest nation that's ever existed on the face of the earth, or it's down. Down into despotism. Down into the swamp from which we crawled. Those are the choices. So I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. If you're calling for vaccine mandates, well, you're a despot. But anyway... This is never going to end, okay? That's the point. We have vaccines that they claim are successful. And then they find out, oh, well, the vaccinated, the efficacy loses its ability to, to combat the virus and prevent infection after, I don't know, three months, six months. Now we need booster shots. Booster shots on, in addition to the two jabs you already got. The vaccine's supposed to prevent things. Well, now you can pass it on. Now you can get it. And then they say, oh, it's the unvaccinated's fault. This never ends. But here's the article I was talking about with the headline, all right? This is D.C. D.C. mask mandate may be in effect through Thanksgiving if vaccinations don't increase. So now it's tied to vaccinations. All right, before it was cases when we didn't have the vaccine. They continue to go up in states that lock down. And they're always creating some new obstacle we have to overcome to get our freedom back. So this is an NBC story. As D.C. enters its second week of a new mask mandate and the Delta variant spreads, the number of people getting tested at pop-up testing sites has jumped. Well, that's what they wanted, right? The number of new cases is rising daily, though. And the number of people getting vaccinated is stagnant. 
at about 1,000 people per day. Patrick Ashley, a senior deputy director of the D.C. Health Department, said the mask mandate is likely to be in effect for weeks to come. So they got mask mandates. They got people getting tested. And despite wearing the mask, the cases are going up. So doesn't that tell you the masks don't work? No, of course not. That's verboten. I don't have my medical degree. How could I say such a thing? Well, that's what the facts are telling me. We're very hopeful that we'll get back to normal around the holidays, Patrick Ashley said. We're hopeful that by Thanksgiving we'll be in a different spot, but that relies on people getting vaccinated. We're hopeful by Thanksgiving. When have we heard that before? Well, we're hoping that, um, you know, by July 4th, people can have their rights back. Well, we're hoping by the fall, uh, people can get back to normal. And they keep pushing it back and back and back. This is about power. It's not about saving lives. Get that through your heads. I don't mean to say that to you, my listeners, because you likely understand it. But I'm getting increasingly frustrated with people in this nation who think that, you know, based on their opinions, based on how they feel and their own fears, you know, I mean, it's one thing for an individual citizen in this country to willingly give up their own freedom. It's another thing to demand that other American citizens give up theirs based on their fears. That's the problem. It's totalitarian. But this article goes on. In other COVID-19 updates in D.C., a growing number of restaurants, theaters, and gyms require proof of vaccination to enter. Vita Fitness announced they will require it. We are part of the city, and we know the right thing to do is to require vaccinations. They're available everywhere. There's just no excuse anymore for not being vaccinated. Um, that verbiage is very important. They say there's just no excuse anymore for not being vaccinated. Now, I have... Uh, Likely many of you aren't on the cesspool that's Twitter, and I don't recommend you get on there. I'm only on there because I have to be, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, for promotional purposes and things like that via my publicist. But there's just no excuse anymore for not being a vaccinated. This is extremist talk. And on Twitter, I've seen multiple people on the left propose that the unvaccinated get shot, that they should be killed. The verbiage used, the ideology that these people seem to possess now that are demanding vaccination, they don't view the unvaccinated as worthy of being viewed as human beings to say that they should be shot. Uh, This is the route that Nazi Germany took. I have always wondered, by the way, I've always asked myself, studying history, how is it that the German people could allow the Nazi regime, the Third Reich, to, well, to alienate the Jewish population and then to eventually send them to concentration camps and execute them in mass graves, in gas chambers, and so on and so forth. And this is how it happens. We're witnessing our own taste of that right now. And that is something to be very, very fearful of and outspoken about. Because the unvaccinated are becoming the new scapegoats. And they're tying the unvaccinated to Republicans, even though that's a lie, even though minorities, for example, are amongst the least vaccinated because they don't trust the government, they don't want to get vaccinated. But they're creating a hostile atmosphere in which lives will be threatened because they are creating an us-versus-them mentality. The vaccinated, the elitist, versus the unvaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, well, you're killing people. 
And when you get to an extreme like that and a majority of the population starts to think that way, well, there's nothing you can't do to the unvaccinated. And I'm warning you right now, that's where this is headed. It's intentional. It's by design. So anyway, to finish the article out, on enforcement of the mask mandate, the D.C. agency that regulates bars and restaurants with liquor licenses received five complaints about compliance with the mask mandate in its first week. They issued 11 verbal warnings to establishments. This isn't freedom. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask, especially because we know scientifically, despite what the liars on the left say, that masks don't do a darn thing. And yet you have Fauci demanding that little children wear masks on their faces at school in perpetuity. This is, this is absolutely sick and perverted, and we need to grow a moral backbone in this country to stand up and fight back against this. I can't tell you how many kids I see here in Napa Valley when I'm out and about on a playground, an isolated playground. No one's around. It's just the mother and their children. And the mother and the children are playing in their masks. Not a soul in sight by themselves. I can't tell you. I saw a guy come out of a public restroom today when I was walking around town getting coffee. He came out of the bathroom where no one else came out. There was no funny business happening. He was alone. He came out wearing a mask. Proceeded to go on a walk down the street. I saw him go for 75, 80 yards until I quit paying attention or he disappeared from sight wearing a mask the whole way. Now, he's free to do that, but he's, well, he's given into the fear. I don't understand the un-American mentality today in which the American citizen thinks at some point of pride, some virtue signaling thing where they're proud to be compliant, proud to be submissive, proud to give up their freedom. That doesn't compute with me. But that's the education system, and that's the world we're living in. But anyway, we're going to take a short break. And, uh, well, when we get back, we got a lot to get into. But anyway, this is Drew Allen, and we'll be back for another segment. Before I get to this uh, interview that I partook in, where I was, um, well, it was a 3v1, me being the lone conservative who stood for freedom, uh, I, want, I, want, I just had another thought. When I was talking about this attitude of, you know, the, look, the media has figured out a successful formula for getting even those who disagree with him, who are on the right, to go along with the narrative. That is, uh, you know, the left we talk about, to set the stage for you, uh, the left, you know, we, we, we say has Trump derangement syndrome. But on the right, we had Trump fatigue syndrome. And that is those people who love Donald Trump, who were supportive of his, who recognized the success of his policies, who, and who certainly could see that Donald Trump was a far better alternative to anything the left could provide via Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or anyone else. Well, they suffered fatigue. They got sick after four years of being beat up, of being attacked, of being ridiculed. And so a lot of these people thought that, oh, well, you know, if we just don't elect Donald Trump in 2020, this will all go away. We just don't want to be bludgeoned anymore. But Donald Trump wasn't the problem. You are the problem. I am the problem. Freedom is the problem. The Constitution is the problem. The American citizens who celebrate America are the problem. So Trump was the target, but really we were the target. And so you can see this happening with DeSantis now, right? He could be a contender in 2024, so they're piling on against DeSantis. It never stops. That's why we just have to fight back. And that's what's happening with the vaccines. 
They just mercilessly attack the unvaccinated. They mercilessly attack Republicans, who they claim are the obstacle, who are responsible for COVID itself now. Not the Wuhan lab and the Chinese. No, no, it's the Republicans, the Trump conservatives that are the problem because they won't get vaccinated. So people are saying, just get vaccinated, please, Lord. Just get everyone get vaccinated so they stop doing it. It's never going to stop, okay? This is about freedom. It's a fight that we either win or we lose. This nation will become all one thing or another. It will sink into despotism or we will defeat the left and reestablish and reassert Americanism in this country. So stop it with the, just get vaccinated. You're the problem. I'm, I'm tired of being beat up. It's not going to change anything. Then it's the next issue. Then it's the next thing. On to the next thing. It never ends because the left is the problem. Not me. Not you. Remember that. All right, so fear. You know, it's interesting. If, if COVID was such, if the situation was so dire as they remind us every single day via the media, well, if it was so dire, they wouldn't have to tell us because we'd know, we'd see it around us. That's why they've re-implemented mask mandates, by the way, because, you know, when we stopped locking down and we got our freedom back and things were normal, they realized, the communists in this country, that the way to keep the fear alive was the mask. Because when you don't wear a mask and you're just going out to dinner and so on and so forth, it seems like, well, COVID's over, that we've defeated it. So they got to bring back the mask so that it's a visual sign and also a physical, physiological sign of the existence of this thing that isn't real. Not that COVID's not real, but that it's a circumstance that's just so out of control, so dangerous that, you know, walking down the street without a mask, we're going to, you know, fall over dead because we breathed in COVID. But here we go. This is an article from CNN. What changes the unvaccinated minds? Fear. That's the headline. The COVID-19 vaccines work to greatly lessen the chance of a person getting a symptomatic case, getting hospitalized, or dying. Notice how they shift it, by the way, as well. The vaccine doesn't prevent anything. Now, no, no, no. The vaccine, it just lessens the symptoms. It lessens your chances of hospitalization, lessens your chances of dying. All of you out there listening that survived from March of 2020 until there was a vaccine, how did you manage to do it? How did you manage to survive this pandemic without the vaccine? It's amazing. It's like welfare. How did America ever survive before we subsidized everyone's existence? How did anyone survive in this country and not fall dead every day because the government wasn't there to give out freebies? Do you understand? With the article, let's continue. Yet, nearly a third of eligible Americans haven't gotten a single dose, and more than 40% have not been fully vaccinated. Can't do that. So what does work to get more people to take the vaccine? One answer seems clear in the polling and in, in the real world. Fear. Fear of getting the virus and of losing freedoms looks like it motivates people to get vaccinated. I mean, honestly, I, I, I just, it seems so blatant to me how sick this is, how perverted it is, how wrong it is, that I shouldn't even have to comment on it. They say explicitly right here in this article, let me read it again. Fear of getting the virus and of losing freedoms looks like it motivates people to get vaccinated. 
So they know that fear is effective. They know that dangling the carrot in front of us saying, oh, you can't take off your mask unless everyone's vaccinated. Well, that's what motivates people to get vaccinated. That is absolutely sick. I mean, it's perverse. You can see this well in the latest trends in vaccination and case counts. Not deaths, by the way. Notice, vaccination and case counts. As of Friday morning, more people have taken the vaccine in the last week than have since June. Fear works, folks. That's what they're saying. Fear works. This has happened as case counts and hospitalizations have been rising nationally. Still no mention of death. Case counts and hospitalizations. The article continues. Zoom in on the places where cases are the highest. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Louisiana, and Mississippi. With the, ex- with the exception of Florida, all have had some of the lowest vaccination rates since vaccines were made available. Over the last week, however, all five states rank in the top five for number of people per capita getting vaccinated throughout the entire country. The correlation here is clear enough, and the polling buffers the idea of a real connection. So just, you know, all these reports about overflowing hospitals and so on and so forth, you know, there have been many people have commented and said they live in these areas and they're not seeing any signs of that. And maybe there are real hospitals where this happens, but it's isolated incidents and it's going to happen. They act again like this is unprecedented. There's a limited number of hospital beds, a limited number. But, you know, if the media puts it out there, it must be true, right? I'm going to get to my interview in a minute. You don't want to miss it. But let me explain what I'm talking about with this, these lies and deceit from the media. They create a reality that doesn't exist. You know, you don't see the dead bodies piled up in the street when you look around you with your own eyes. You don't see signs of anything threatening you with your own eyes. I know people who are sick with COVID right now. My wife had COVID. She recovered. Okay? She's young and healthy. Great. She's got antibodies now. God Thank God for that, all right? But here we go. Squad member, this is the, this is the headline from CNN, uh, from no, the Daily Mail UK. Squad member Corey Bush and CNN are blasted for pushing news story that raised 230000 for fake single mom of three facing homelessness over eviction moratorium. Now remember, if you didn't see it, Corey Bush, um, well, she slept in a sleeping bag or something outside uh, the halls of Congress there to try, you know, and make some spectacle to get the eviction moratorium extended. And so what do they do? CNN and squad member Congresswoman Cori Bush highlighted the struggle of a single mom of three facing homelessness who turned out to be the children's babysitter. Dasha Kelly, 32, of Las Vegas, was featured in a segment last week with CNN reporter Nick Watt who has zero watts of brain power flowing through his thick skull. So he took a tour of Kelly's home. It promoted a GoFundMe she set up to collect rent, which has since raised more than 230000 thanks to CNN's report, and repeatedly referred to her as the mother of Sharon, or Sharon, eight, Kia, six, and Imani, five. But it turns out Kelly was just their babysitter. So Nick Watt, with no wattage in the brain, he literally went to this person's house to promote it, took a tour of this person's home and left and did a story without knowing, apparently, that this person, it wasn't her house. 
She didn't live there, and she was the babysitter. Kelly appeared on the network and was subsequently hailed by Missouri U.S. Representative Cori Bush after claiming she faced homelessness when the federal eviction moratorium designed to stop people being left homeless by COVID ends. But before making the clarification, CNN even brought Kelly back with the children for a follow-up interview with Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush. This is the least we can do for you is to step up and make sure that you get to stay in the safety and comfort of your home while we work on other things to help make sure that your life and the lives of your children are better. But of course it turns out this individual, well, it was all a lie. None of this was true. This was on CNN. This was promoted by a congresswoman, Cori Bush. And people are so desperate nationally. So many people are in so much trouble with the evictions, that they had to find somebody who wasn't even, it wasn't even a real example of it. It was invented and fabricated. I mean, if this isn't a reason never to watch CNN again, never to listen to these Democrats again, I don't know what is. But anyway, let's get into my interview. Maybe I'll come back to it, maybe I won't. I think you get the point, though. CNN's a liar. The whole network's full of liars. Nick Watt's a liar and incompetent at best. Corey Bush is a liar. And this is all another dog and pony show, a spectacle, just like wearing the masks and taking the masks off. Do you, I've got to add something too. So in addition to Barack Obama's COVID palooza, there was also another squad member, Rashida Tlaib, who, who was just out uh, decrying and condemning Republicans who were saying no to the mask mandates Attacking, of course, Florida Governor DeSantis for saying you can't have a mask mandate. And she just went to a wedding celebration indoors, surrounded by unmasked people, not a mask in sight. These are the same people who are telling us that the situation is so dire that we must get vaccinated. Our liberty must be seized to save lives. Masks save lives. And yet, what do they do? They surround themselves with hundreds of people who aren't wearing masks and aren't wearing masks themselves while they tell the rest of us masks work. We have to wear masks. We have to give up our freedom. We can't hold parties. It's irresponsible. Sturgis, the bicyclers, no, no, no. They need to put uh, uh, public health and safety first. This is irresponsible of them. We understand they want their freedom, but they can't have their freedom until they do what we say in perpetuity, and these people don't live by it themselves. This is the nobility class, and this is actually the broader problem in America. We are, we are reaching a fever pitch in this nation right now. What do I mean by a fever pitch? Well, the pot is boiling over with anger and resentment from the American people. We have a ruling class who says, rules for thee, but not for me. They view themselves kings and queens, Rulers over the American people are masters, and this is not tolerable. These examples are becoming more common. The hypocrisy is becoming more overt and brazen. And they are demanding that you and I and millions, tens of millions of Americans suffer, suffer, sacrifice, while they do not sacrifice themselves. And I understand that Americans are willing to suffer long and endure great amounts of abuse 
at the hands of their government because they're much attached to the government. And they'll endure it long and hard before they start to think of replacing their government with another. But the R word, revolution, is in the air. And the only people who are responsible for that coming are these ruling elites who continue to slap Americans in the face, continue to attack us while they live their lives freely. There are two Americas, the poor saps who pay taxes and the people who are paid with our tax dollars. Those people laugh at us. Those people look down on us. They condescend to us. And I'm going to play a clip that tells you what I'm talking about. Here we go. This is my, just a short segment of it, my appearance on the Bruce DeMont Show. Drew? Absolutely, they would be against that. I mean, well, let me just, let me just pause there real quick. So the question he poses to me, um, because I suggested, of course, and I mean it, that the level of tyranny we're experiencing today is greater than that of the Founding Fathers, okay? And if you listen to the show before, I've, been, I've gotten into it. But anyway, he says, well, do you think that the Founding Fathers would have objected to the learned men the advice of, of, you know, counselors and medical professionals back then. So anyway, this is how I continue to respond. The level of tyranny we're experiencing in America today is far beyond that that the founding fathers experienced in the 18th century, in which they were far Drew, more what, free Drew, what, what, than their what is, what is, what is to, Drew, Drew, let me ask you this. What is tyrannical about someone who is learned, who knows something about science, who knows something about medicine, who knows something a lot more than a lot of other people, What's wrong with intelligent people giving direction to people who aren't as educated? What's wrong with that concept? Why is that tyrannical? Well, I mean, the fact is, today, I, reject, today I listen, today I listen I, I to... I reject the condescension. I reject the condescension well, of that attitude, you, you may, but which you is know nothing what? different from the plantation attitude, which is, we know best, you know? The slave is are better off saying, in a system you, in which, no, no, well, you know, their you, lives are you, governed you by others. You are putting words That's in my mouth. Are you, saying, are you saying that people it, who are educated don't have, don't have the ability or don't have the willingness or don't have the obligation to share their knowledge with people who are less interested, less educated than they are about a specific subject that they've spent 16 to 20 years talking about? Are you that anti-intellectual? So the inter interview continues, of course. I'm not going to play the re rest. Uh, after he said that, I, I, I said, um, um, you know, essentially, well, that, that, that's remarkable. Thank you for your condescension. But Bruce DeMont is the kind of person that uh, I grew up with. Now, I went to an elitist all-male college prep preparatory school in Dallas, Texas, and I was surrounded by people who had a similar attitude to Bruce. And that was, we're better than everyone else because we're smarter than everyone else, because we make better grades than everyone else, because we get into better colleges than everyone else, because our education is above everyone else, because we wear these coats and ties every day at this elitist institution. And therefore, because of our education, because of the degrees that will be bestowed upon us, thanks to well, where we've come in terms of high school and then in college, well, we're better than everyone else.
And because we're better than everyone else, we can tell people how to live their lives because other people who aren't as smart as us, well, they can't be trusted to make good decisions. And this is the elitist crap that I've been around my whole life. Now, Bruce here says I am anti-intellectual. When as a matter of fact, I've roamed in these circles. I lived in a socialist country. I actually speak fluent Italian. I used to, oh, when I was 23 years old, I was opening and managing retail stores in a foreign country. What was Bruce doing at 23? I've produced a movie. Has Bruce produced a, a movie? No, no, he gets on the radio and talks. But, oh, you know, he's such a significant intellectual elitist. Degrees don't mean anything to me. And there's a couple lessons here. One, it doesn't matter what you achieve as a conservative. It doesn't matter if you go to Harvard or Princeton, like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has a law degree, I believe, from Princeton University, where liberal elitists come out of. The left does not respect Ted Cruz. They don't respect Ben Carson, who is a renowned, renowned brain doctor, brain surgeon. This is the lesson. Do not try to use your credentials or seek credentials to get the respect of the left. Because unless you say and do what they demand, unless you march lockstep with them, you will not get their respect. So live your life. And I reject this as well. This is, this is an a, a inflection point for me. Because this is what, it, what, is what it boils down to. It's the same thing that Ronald Reagan discussed in 1964 when he gave a speech known as the speech or a time for choosing. You know, he gave a speech at, the Republic, at a Republican event for Barry Goldwater to introduce Barry Goldwater, who was the Republican candidate back then. And he said, we have a choice to make. Basically, are we going to embrace and continue and fulfill this American creed, this great American experiment that, that says that our rights are unalienable? Or are we going to accept this preposterous idea and notion that some elected bureaucrats in far-off, distant Washington, D.C. can run our lives better than we can for ourselves? And this is the point. We've been up against this for a long time. And that's what I ran up, to, ran up against with Bruce. And, of course, I made the point with Bruce after that that I'm not going to play because he keeps talking about these learned individuals well, if learned individuals who are doctors and I'm not tell me to get the vaccine, are you so anti-intellectual that you won't listen to them? You're right. You're damn right, Bruce. I'm not going to listen to them because I make my own decisions and I don't care what your credentials are. That's what it means to be an American. That's what freedom looks like. And of course, I made the point to Bruce that, you know, it's amazing because Dr. Fauci is a Bruce DeMont's god as well as the God of the left and the totalitarians in this country. And Dr. Fauci condemned the frontline doctors who said that hydroxychloroquine could save lives back in March of 2020. They condemned them, and they condemned Donald Trump for saying that hydroxychloroquine should be made available. What did they do? They refused to give hydroxychloroquine to patients, 
to treat hydroxychloroquine. They said that these doctors who had medical degrees, who were doctors in their own right, these learned men, well, they weren't real doctors. They were wrong. They were putting lives at risk. And of course, we know that hydroxychloroquine and zinc, if you contract COVID, can increase survivability by three times. And yet, Bruce DeMont continues to listen to these same fools who are wrong about that and wrong about every, everything else. Because Bruce DeMont, like these rhinos, well, he's an elitist. He cares what CNN says about him. He cares about roaming in these circles. He feels good about being amongst the elite. And if you want to be in the club, you got to say what the club says to say. And that's what Bruce DeMont's doing. That's what a lot of rhinos are doing. Many Republicans, even conservatives now are doing. Are you so anti-intellectual that you think that you can make your own decisions for your life? Are you so anti-intellectual that you think that you can run your life better than the government can run your life? Are you such a fool? Yeah, count me in, Bruce. And count me in, all you totalitarians out there. This is the problem in America today. And this is what is, well, pushing us rapidly towards a crisis. Because the American people are not going to be pushed around much longer. And it's your fault. Your arrogance, your condescension, we won't take it. We won't tolerate it. And you're going to be put in your place because you must be put in your place. So anyway, I just want to give you some insight because that's what I'm up against. That's what you're up against. And that's what these people think of you. They think they're smarter than you and better than you, and they can tell you how to live your life. And if you don't do what they say, they're going to punish you. It's a plantation mentality. Yeah, yeah, the plantations might be out of vogue, but they're merely been relocated and transplanted to Washington, D.C., your city municipalities, and your cathedrals of totalitarianism in the capitals in our states. This is Drew Allen. And we'll be right back. Well, this, uh, this country continues to be held hostage by the inmates of the prison, by the straight-jacketed individuals in the insane asylum. The insane are running the insane asylum, both in the federal government, the Biden administration, uh, at our universities, and basically everywhere that people exist, um, the insane are running the show. Where to start? I've got a series of stories here just to point out. If you have Democrat friends, check on them. Ask if they're okay. Knock on their heads and see if there's anything inside. Because at this point, with the stories I'm about to tell, how anyone can claim allegiance to the Democrat Party, how anyone can claim that they are superior to Donald Trump is beyond me. They're not thinking right. They need medical help and attention, and they might need you. So please tend to your friends, because at this point, if your allegiance is with the Democrat Party, you're not okay. You're just not okay. You're not right in the head. Oregon Governor Kate Brown scraps need for high school students to prove proficiency in math, reading, and writing to get diploma in bid to bolster minority students who don't test well. So, in Oregon, there's an issue where minority students, while they can't pass their math exams, they can't pass writing courses, they can't read or write, 
And so Governor Kate Brown, a Democrat solution is to get rid of the testing. So if you can't read, write, or do math, well, we'll just scrap reading, writing, and math. That makes sense, right? Unbelievable. So they don't test well. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't think you can read the whole article. Just the bullet points. This is, I believe, from the Daily Mail UK as well. They do a better job reporting on the insanity in America than our own newspapers. Oregon suspended its requirements that students show a proficiency in essential skills. Well, if you don't have essential skills, we'll just get rid of the testing that, I don't know, proves that you have them. Now, here's, here's the kicker for me. It's an extension of a suspension put in place during the coronavirus pandemic. So, allegedly, of course, they would put an end to these testing, this testing because maybe the kids weren't in school, they were studying from home, maybe they felt like it wasn't fair because, well, school wasn't in session, so they were losing out in that way. But, of course, the pandemic was the road to Marxism. They don't want these children to do well. And so, just like everything, the pandemic can't end, and everything horrible that they did to this country— and the name of the pandemic is here to stay. Do you see how this works? The pandemic is the, well, it's like the wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Right? All of the destructive things that the Democrats on their wish list that they've wanted to do to America for decades, well, they're doing in the name of COVID. And they continue to do in the name of COVID. Proponents of this BS argue that ending the requirements will help disadvantaged students who have historically tested poorly. How are you helping the disadvantaged students who can't read, write, or do math by scrapping the need for them to read, write, and do math? Am I speaking plain English here? Is this making sense to everyone listening here? A spokesman for Brown said the suspension will benefit Oregon's Black, Latino, Latino, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, Tribal, and students of color. Do you understand how racist the Democrats are? So you, anyone who's not white is what this says, this spokesperson. So Oregon Governor Kate Brown alleges that anyone who is not white, well, they're so stupid, they are so illiterate, they can't add up two plus two, you're so dumb that we're going to suspend the testing because you'll never pass. No, 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 we don't want you to learn how to read, write, and do math. We don't want to invest in your future. We're just going to let you fall off the cliff and support that. It comes amid a push nationwide to end testing as a requirement of high school education. Sure, why should you be tested? You know, you go through high school, you spend four years taking classes in math and reading and writing, and then in the end, we won't even have a test to see what you've learned. We'll just throw you out there. If you can't read, write, or whatever else, ah, that's fine. Who cares? So you Democrats, this is a Democrat governor. This is a push by the Democrat Party. And you think this is so fantastic. Be proud to be a Democrat. I bet you're proud to be a Democrat. You think any minority that's not white is stupid. And you think that uh, uh, the solution to lifting them out of poverty and giving them opportunity, well, is to simply say, oh, you can't read, write, or do math. Oh, well, have fun. Here's another story. A rock, this is from CNN, a rock that students call a symbol of racism has been, rem <laughs> has been removed from University of Wisconsin. 
the University of Wisconsin removed a 42-ton boulder from its Madison campus Friday after complaints from students of color who called the rock a symbol of racism. This rock, 42-ton boulder, is a symbol of racism. Chamberlain Rock, as it used to be called before it was removed, which had sat on Observatory Point since 1925. Nearly 100 years it sat there, without interruption, without anger, without any calls for it to be removed, but something's changed today in 2021. Well, it was named after Thomas Chamberlain, a geologist and former university president who served from 1887 to 1892. A 1925 Wisconsin State Journal article used the N-word as part of a nickname for the giant boulder. My goodness, how offensive. The boulder is imbued with racism because someone once called it the N-word. My word. My word. The Wisconsin Black Student Union last summer called for the rock to be removed from campus as one of a series of demands it said were aimed at seeking justice for black students. Get rid of this rock. This rock is racist. This rock was once called the N-word, and so that rock must be racist. It must be removed. These are our demands. Well, while you're at it, why don't you just literally burn down the school? I mean, I don't know. Thomas Chamberlain might have used the N-word at one point. And he was a university president there from 1887 to 1892. I mean, that was before the Civil Rights Act. That wasn't that long after slavery. I mean, burn down the school. Don't get rid of the rock. The rock didn't do anything to harm anybody. I mean, there's way more racism within the halls of this university, certainly, than there are in the veins of this geological phenomenon. But anyway, and this is why I say we're being held hostage, literally, to this stupidity. Every time you give in to these demands, you embolden them. You know, this is why I say the insane are running the insane asylum. The Black Student Union, their demands. I got a demand. Shut up and leave the university if you want. If you think a rock is racist and needs to be removed, you've got bigger mental problems at stake. We don't need to continue to encourage this. These people have mental problems. They're not well in the head. That rock has more brains than the Black Student Union at Wisconsin. Yeah, I said it. The campaign came in the wake of the police killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the union said in a statement posted on Instagram Friday. Well, of course, I mean, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, I mean, and then we have a rock. Same thing, you know, the conflating this rock with human beings. It was very meaningful for me to be there and to see the process all the way through to the end, senior Nala McWhorter said in a university news release. McWhorter, who was the president of the Wisconsin Black Student Union for the past academic year, was there when the boulder was removed Friday, the most triumphant moment of her life or his life. Do we have a... Maybe they don't like his or her. I'll just go with a pronoun. They. Nala McWhorter is a they. They said... It was about a year ago that we released our demands and met with a chancellor and explained to her why these, those demands meant so much to us. It was a powerful moment today to see this demand come full circle. The Native American student. So, you know, this is, this is outstanding. I mean, what a, what a multi-partisan endeavor. I mean, you got the Black Student Union, but now we're getting to the Native American student organization. Wonk Sheik. Well, they partnered with the insane Wisconsin Black Student Union in the rock removal effort, the university said. The boulder sat on ancestral Ho-Chunk land. 
How dare Iraq sit on Ho-Chunk land, oppressing the ground that the Ho-Chunks didn't walk on to begin with because Iraq was there predating them anyway. <laughs> Iraq's on my land. It's getting in the way of where I'd like to sit or plant a tree. Get rid of it, you oppressive rock. Anyway, the university had to get permission from the Wisconsin Historical Society to remove the boulder, as it sat within the area of a Native American burial mound, according to the university. The rock was not sitting on top of a burial site. It took courage and commitment for the Wisconsin Black Student Union to bring this issue forward and to influence change alongside. You know, some people aspire to be um, musicians, actors. They respond to be podcasters. They aspire to be brain surgeons, but no, no. This black student union at this university, the University of Wisconsin, their goals are so lofty. Their, uh, their aims are set so high that they got this rock removed from Native American land. So... Anyway, but he, he, this rock's amazing, by the way. The boulder is a large example of a rare Precambrian-era glacial erratic, which may be more than 2 billion years old, the university said. A glacial erratic is a large rock that was moved by a glacier and left behind when the glacier... I mean, is this not discriminatory? I mean, these poor archaeologists, I mean, they just lost out on this, this marvelous wonder on their campus. I mean, these poor guys, they didn't even know they had this racist rock sitting there to begin with. The chancellor's office is using private donations to pay the $50,000 price tag for the rock's removal. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's at least part of the tuition these people are paying. I mean, they could have used this $50,000 to allow a minority student from, I mean, Oregon, where they can't learn to read or write because Kate Brown doesn't want them to and thinks that's fine. Well, they could, have, they, they could have used that $50,000 to let one of these illiterate students in Oregon come and learn in college. But instead, they used the $50,000, just throw it down the drain to uh, pay to remove this rock. Moving the rock, the campus director says, moving the rock to this remote site prevents further harm to our community while preserving the rock's educational and research value for current and future scholars. Gosh. Gosh, this seems to be what the Republicans are involved in, by the way, with their infrastructure bill, you know? They're all in for this type of bipartisan support, right? We moved, they did everything, right? They moved the rock to prevent harm to the community, and they preserved it. That's amazing, amazing. But actually, before I get to the infrastructure stuff, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly, because I got something else to talk about, and that's Larry Elder. Because many of you may be outraged at Larry Elder, and that's fine, I understand, but I want to clarify a point about that. But here's, here's, here's the last example today of the uh, liberal insanity moment of the program. Ben Crump, all right? So I uh, saw this on Twitter the other day. He's a civil rights attorney. Um, so so he, he uh, praised the removal of Master Bedroom, the title Master Bedroom from Minnesota, Minnesota Real estate listings, master bedroom. Do you, are, you, are you with me? Are you ahead of me? Do you know where I'm going with this? So civil rights attorney, Ben Crump, master bedroom is racist. So the rock's gone from the university and now master bedroom will never be spoken again in Minnesota on real estate listings because guess what? 
Words matter, Crump tweeted Monday afternoon. Good to see Minnesota phasing out the usage, use of master bedroom and real estate listings, many associated with slavery. A repetitive reminder of plantation life. Together we can create more inclusive, aware communities. Master bedroom. I never even knew. You know, it's amazing. I don't know how I went through life. My wife and I have had two homes at this point. And we've always referred to our master bedroom as the master bedroom. And I never once had a racist thought in my mind. And I doubt anyone else did either. Also, it's really weird. Isn't it amazing all these um, people like Crump who happen to be black, who have PTSD from slavery? I mean, it's really weird to me and concerning because, I, I don't know, maybe Crump believes in reincarnation. Maybe it's like a, a former slave that's inhabited his body upon his birth. Because uh, last time I checked, there was not a white American living who had slaves or who had ever had slaves. And there's not a black American living in America today who has ever been a slave, period. So it's odd to me that Master Bedroom can evoke an experience that this man will never understand. But anyway, you Democrats out there, these are your people. This is your party. This is the brilliance that's in your party. Ah, yes, yes, yes. These people should be making decisions for me and you, folks, the American people. They are so much smarter than us that they know things that we don't. They know that rocks can be racist. Uh, they believe that minorities who can't read and write should just be pushed out into the world, illiterate, and that's equity. And uh, civil rights attorney Ben Crump, Democrat, uh, well, he's setting the record straight on master bedroom, making all the slaves in this country and all the slave owners, you know, feel better about themselves and what they've done. So anyway, before we close out, uh, well, I guess I should address this infrastructure bill. So the one point whatever trillion dollar infrastructure bill. I'm not going to read an article. I'm just going to tell you. So the 19 Republicans, of course, including Mitch McConnell, uh, Tom Tillis, numerous others, they're 19. You should keep a list of their names because they should, well, they should be ridiculed and never elected into office again. Now, these Republicans aren't just dumb. They're vile. Uh, it's one thing, you know, at least with Democrats, we know that they hate America. At least with Democrats, they campaign on trying to destroy America. But the Republicans, the rhinos like these 19, they campaign against destroying America. And then we elect them into office and then they destroy America. So these are like... Well, I feel like if I can just imagine like Ben Crump, what it was like in the slave era, if I can go back and imagine what it was like to be Julius Caesar in the Roman Senate with the knives coming out, getting stabbed in the back by people I thought I trusted, they whispered sweet nothings in my ear about freedom and liberty. Well, that's what it's like, getting stabbed in the back by these rhinos. Now, this infrastructure bill is not an infrastructure bill. It's a uh, Green New Deal, a Marxist deal, with infrastructure sprinkled on top. I believe it was around $110 billion out of this 
point something trillion dollar bill that actually went to traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, et cetera, things that actually mean infrastructure. But now infrastructure, as we've known for months, means whatever they want it to be. Infrastructure, it's like the For the People Act. They call it infrastructure. They call it For the People Act, but it's against the People Act. They say the For the People Act is for free and fair elections. It's against, to end free and fair elections. And the infrastructure bill is not about infrastructure. Now, not only is this bill just, well, it's disgraceful and accomplishes much of the leftist Marxist wish list, which will add to inflation and ruin many Americans' lives in this country. Well, the Republicans knew good and well that this bill's success is still attached to the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that is the real Green New Deal. So they want to spend $5 trillion, not one-point-something trillion in total, okay? Nancy Pelosi said... This infrastructure bill that the, the Senate just passed with those 19 Republicans, who I deem from now on, by the way, the turncoat Republicans. The turncoat Republicans. That's what they are. They've turned on us and America. But Nancy Pelosi announced long before this vote took place that she would not submit this bill to the president's desk to be signed into law if she didn't also get the recon reconciliation bill passed. So they're giving them a gift. And this $3.5 trillion bill, if they're going to try to pass through reconciliation, which they will because reconciliation is different. It's a budget deal. They can do it once a year. And all it requires is a simple majority vote. So there are 50 Democrat senators and, uh, and 50 Republican senators. Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote. So this is what they're doing. So these 19 Republicans knowingly just signed off and approved the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, there are things buried in this that we don't have time to get into today, but it'll be another episode. But it provides essentially a legal pathway for the million-plus illegal aliens who've just come into the country over the last several months, the invasion at our border. So they basically, the Republicans are committing American suicide and also the suicide of the Republican Party. They have been handed, offered cyanide and have taken cyanide, except that cyanide then brings about the destruction of America herself. So anyway, I'm going to take one more short break. When I get back, we're going to hit Larry Elder. I'll play the comment he made today that set off a firestorm in conservative circles, and I'll explain why you should not be afraid and what is really happening. It's a smart move. Larry Elder knows what he's doing. Don't you worry. This is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. All right, now we're back. Now let's hit the Larry Elder controversy, okay? Uh, here is what got Larry Elder in hot water with conservatives across America today. The, the question I would ask next is, among conservatives, there is a growing quorum who distrust elections and election officials, including in California. Do you believe Joe Biden won the 2020 election freely and fairly? And do you trust in the integrity and validity of California's elections process? Uh, I do believe that Joe Biden won the election fairly and squarely. But 
Okay, okay, okay. There you have the clip, all right? He does believe that Joe Biden won fairly and squarely, or whatever that, that, that was. Now, obviously, I understand why this makes us irate, because we don't acknowledge, we do not believe, we know that he did not win fairly and squarely, okay? But he does not believe this. You just have to trust me on this. I've lived in California a long time. I've listened to Larry Elder driving in my car throughout Los Angeles because you spend a lot of time in your car talking, okay? He's on the record. He's, he's, as, he's as conservative as you, as you can get. I mean, he's been talking about these issues for more than a decade. So he's on the record being a staunch conservative. Let me put it in context this way to help alleviate some of your pain and anger. And that's this. When Democrats run for election, they understand that their policies and many of their, well, social and socialist beliefs are unpopular largely with the American people. They know that they cannot win an election saying what they truly believe. So they move to the center while they campaign. Joe Biden did it, right? He was a moderate, all right? They didn't run Bernie Sanders. Bill Clinton did it. He pretended to be a moderate. And of course, Barack Obama pretended also to be a moderate. Now, they did not believe the things they said, but they said them because they knew they had to say them if they wanted to win. This is not a presidential campaign Larry Elder is running in. Two things have to happen in September. One, a majority of voters have to vote to recall Gavin Newsom. So they have to check a box, yes or no, on recalling Newsom. The next thing they have to do is vote on one individual out of, I don't know, more than 30 that are probably going to be on this ballot to replace Gavin Newsom. And the individual who gets the most votes becomes the new governor. Larry Elder is running in California. That is not the rest of the United States. That's not Texas. That's not a red state. It's a majority. It's been in the hands of Democrats, purely one-party rule, for years and years and years. And so if Larry Elder wants to win in California and defeat Gavin Newsom and defeat everyone else on the ballot, well, he has to convince Democrats to vote for him as well. So I just want you to understand that. What he's doing is he's playing by a new rule book. He's playing to win. He's doing what is necessary to win. Look, all this purist talk, oh, I don't like that he didn't come out and just say, no, it was a rigged election. He's in California. That will become the central campaign issue in September. Larry Elder can't win. Gavin Newsom can't be recalled unless it's a bipartisan effort. So the bipartisan effort, Democrats and Republicans and independents have to vote to recall Newsom, and then they have to decide on who's going to replace him. So Republicans just need to understand that Larry Elder understands the game. And this is a good thing. He understands the game. If he said, no, it was rigged, it was a stolen election, well, guess what? He loses the ability to communicate with anyone because everyone's going to write him off 
as a conspiracy theorist. That's not what we believe. We know it's wrong. But we're talking about California and who's voting. So Democrats are always smart. They say whatever they have to say to get elected, and then when they get elected, they do whatever they want. So I understand what Larry Elder's doing here, and it's smart. It's strategic. It's something that's been lacking in the Republican Party. This is not business as usual. We are fighting for the survival of this nation, and if he has to say something that he doesn't mean that upsets some of us to get the other voters in, that's fine. That's smart. As long as when he gets in office, he's steadfast. I mean, would you rather him come out and say what you want him to say and lose and lose a chance to put a conservative in there, the best person on the ticket, by the way, or would you rather him say something like this, the election was fair and square, get elected, and then have an opportunity to change California? I mean, look, Republicans whisper sweet nothings, as I've said. They come and campaign and say all the right things, and they get elected and they stab us in the back. Well, I would rather have Larry Elder say something on the campaign trail that ensures he can get elected, and then he's actually conservative. I mean, Mitch McConnell comes out and says the right things, all the conservative things, and then he stabs us in the back. Well, Larry Elder is doing the reverse tactic. He's coming out saying all the right things the Democrats want to hear, that moderates might want to hear, so it doesn't basically sink his campaign, that it doesn't drown out what the important messages are that are bipartisan and then he can get an office and be the conservative we know he is as the governor of California. So that's what's going on here. So I get the outrage, but I'm telling you that's what it's about. All right? Now look, I talked about that speech that Reagan gave, A Time for Choosing. And that's where we are in America today. This is how I want to end the program. A time for choosing. Well, we have a time for choosing right now, and it's freedom or liberty. The choice is, do we fight to continue to move forward as a country that believes in self-government, or do we reject it all of a sudden after 245 years of this great American experiment and accept the dark ages, the old notion that we overturned, that the government can run our lives better than we can? Do we reject independence? Or do we embrace independence? That's what this comes down to with the vaccination mandates, with the seizure of our rights for COVID in perpetuity, and then climate change when that comes up. Enough is enough. This nation isn't a nation of kings and queens and dictators. It's a nation of American citizens. It's not about communal rights. It's about individual rights. That's what the Constitution's about. That's what's revolutionary about it. And so time and time again, patriotic Americans have risen up to fight to continue the American experiment. And that's what we have to do now. This is a time for choosing. So choose which side you're on. You're either for liberty or against liberty. You're either for slavery or against slavery. It really is that stark of a contrast. And so mull that over and decide which, how important this country is to you. Do you want it to exist for your posterity, for your kids, for your grandchildren, even for yourself to enjoy? Because this battle is not going to be won. This war won't be won in 2022 or 2024. That's what you just have to accept. We've got to be in it for the long haul.
And it's going to require every one of us to step up and join the fight. And we can't join the fight every two years or four years. It has to be every day. Every day. And if you love this country, that's what you'll do. If that's not important to you, well, we need you. But if that's your decision, we risk losing America as we know it. America will exist as a name. Americans will exist in name, nominally only. But America, the beacon of light and hope for this world, well, that light will fade. It will disappear. And so the world will go. This is a great country. It benefits the world. And it's unique. And I don't want to see it disappear after 245 years. I don't know about you. But uh, that's a decision we have to make. So anyway, God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in. Look, I, I also wanted to tell you, you know, you can contact me if you have questions, concerns. If you want to address something or get in a fight with me, you can email me at email at drewthomasallen.com. And my website is drewthomasallen.com as well. Alternatively, I haven't figured it all out yet because when I started, I had another website, okay? Just hear me out. It's Drew Allen, D-R-E-W-A-L-L-E-N, like my podcast, drewallen.substack.com. Now, that's where I acquired most of my subscribers, so I still keep that one going as well. So you can also subscribe there if you want. But anyway, thank you for listening. And until next time.